Hey there, welcome to another episode of The Break. I'm Father Roderick, and I'm podcasting on a beautiful but very cold Saturday afternoon, early afternoon. It's so cold that I turned up the heating in some of the areas of my house, especially here in the office where I'm recording this show, because I, I don't want to have cold hands. This episode is made possible thanks to my wonderful community of patrons over at patreon.com slash fatherroderick. I just want to say a quick hello to a few new patrons that have joined the community, Johan Alexander, Claire, and I also want to welcome back Bartek, who is from Poland, and he's been uh, a part of the, of the patron community for a while, but I noticed that he like renewed his uh, his subscription. So thank you so much for your support. If you would like to join uh, those patrons, um, first of all, uh, they would love it because it's a very vibrant community. It's a very welcoming community. We um, have a Discord server for the patrons. So it's a bit shielded, but that also makes it a really safe place to be, a nice place to hang on, uh, to hang, well, to hang on to. <laughs> it's not that bad, but to, to hang out. Um, and, and it's also a place where I interact a lot with, uh, with my supporters. Um, but also you, you help me do this kind of work to reach out via all these uh, social media platforms, some of which have been around forever, but I've also recently dabbled in uh, um, with uh, uh, posting on on Mastodon, which we'll be talking about in a minute, um, and of course we've got the the TikTok and YouTube audiences, which are absolutely fantastic. Love that community, and it's very rare for for priests to have the the time uh, and also maybe the creativity to um, to make content for those platforms and to interact with the big audiences of young and not so young people there. Um, and, and that's what you help make possible by, by your support. I, I'm totally dependent on my patrons, um, which is sometimes a bit scary because I have no other uh, sources of income. But it's also incredible strength because it means that we're doing this together and your support helps me to help others. So hopefully you can join that community. Again, check it out at patreon.com slash Father Roderick. You know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. What a week it has been. It feels like it's been a month. There's been so much going on in the world. And also, especially in the world where I normally hang out, and that is the online world. As you know, I'm a very early adopter of a lot of social media platforms. I think I've been on Twitter, for instance, since 2007. Every year I get a reminder of the Twitterversary, Twitter anniversary. I've been on YouTube since it, the early days, Facebook. And then, of course, I used to be active on platforms that have completely disappeared. <laughs> Remember MySpace? Remember all those, like, oh my gosh. I, I think I tried out everything. And of course, over time, a number of these platforms started to get replaced by newcomers or new new platforms. Um, and some just became became bigger and bigger and more influential. Now, of course, I'm not telling you anything news, but new by saying that, uh, that especially Twitter is in a lot of turmoil right now ever since uh, Elon Musk took over. He immediately started implementing a 
ton of changes, a very, very radical way of restructuring his organization because it's his now. He owns it. He paid, what is it, $40 billion for it or something like that. I, I just cannot, just does not compute. My brain is too small for numbers like that. But anyway, so he needs to turn a profit. He needs to... Um, he feels he needs to do something quickly to uh, to start making money with this uh, new acquisition of his. The, the problem is, it's going so fast, and this platform has been so incredibly influential, not because it's the biggest platform, because it's not. TikTok, way bigger. Facebook, way more powerful. Instagram is even more, is bigger than Twitter. But... All the important people are on 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 Twitter, especially journalists, politicians, uh, the the influencers, um, especially in our society. I'm not talking about you know like fashion or or makeup influencers. We we have a lot of those on other platforms, but it's been a really important platform to follow the news, to get the word out about uh, what's happening in in your area of the world, and of course especially in, in, in the more recent years, it has also been a platform uh, with a, a lot of issues when it comes to content moderation and fake news and um, troll armies going after people. Um, very, very uh, difficult um, space to, to manage. And the fear is now that with all these very drastic, uh, extremely fast changes, um, there's going to be not enough not enough control anymore over the situation this can go uh, get out of hand very very quickly so um i don't know if this will impact each and every uh, twitter user i think a lot of people may not be following the developments uh, all that closely i do because i well, it's part of my job of course as someone who works in the media to keep an eye on on you know, like the the bigger uh, things that are happening to our online world, because I—that's where I work, so I need to know what's going on. Um, but I—I uh, I do think that 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 we need to also have a plan B, maybe even a plan C, uh, and and that is true. You should never just go with one platform. Um, almost every. Uh, communications expert says, uh, make sure that you are in control of your own content. Just don't put everything on one platform because if, if that platform, for whatever reason, starts to malfunction, they have your content. And so you always need to have, at least make sure you have a, a, like a wide range of channels to interact with your followers and to get the word out. Um, and I also think that it, I've seen platforms come and go, and uh, sometimes I I went with the new stuff and I tried it out, and then it never got anywhere. Uh, and sometimes I I just hopped over because I saw a lot of other people doing that, and there were good reasons to do that. And it turns out I was right. For instance, like with Facebook, uh, and I'm talking about like ten years ago, there was this huge platform in the Netherlands everybody was on. Uh, it was a bit like MySpace. And, um, and and nobody had heard of Facebook, uh, all that at least <laughs> most people hadn't. Uh, but since I was always uh, communicating with an international audience, I was already doing like blogging in English about Star Wars. I had a, way more interaction with the rest of the world than with people in my own country. I noticed everybody starts started to flock to Facebook. And so I was like, okay, Facebook is this 
global, huge entity, um, if everybody goes there, then there's no way that this relatively small local Dutch initiative is going to survive. Over time, since the world is is growing beyond our, our national borders, um, uh, I don't think there's a future for that. And so I moved over to Facebook, and that's where I've been <laughs> do, doing a lot of my communication over the, over the years now. Of course, that cha- Facebook has also changed a lot, and I'm also kind of like moving elsewhere. So I've recently moved to TikTok. Um, it doesn't mean that I leave the other platform, but I focus more on the platforms where most people congregate. Um, and also what I find more and more important is to look at the kind of the overall atmosphere on a platform. Um, and it, it is sometimes really difficult to to discern what is the right place to go. Um, take, for instance, TikTok. There are two aspects of TikTok. One Super positive, one extremely worrisome. Positive, it's an amazing community. I've I've met so many new people. It's a very supportive, creative community as well. Um, I've had more interaction on TikTok than I've had on any other platform. So it's wonderful for that. Uh, there's so many creative people that are sharing uh, their knowledge, their experience, their sense of humor, their music with the world. I love it for that. Of course, the other side of TikTok is the fact that it's a Chinese company. And just the other week, they have published uh, some updated terms of service. And that made especially the lawmakers here in Europe extremely worried because they basically admit that a lot of our data or even our personal data, is going straight to China, where, of course, free speech is, well, not something <laughs> that is always condoned. So how how safe is that? Does that even comply to the EU regulations when it comes to transfer of data? Our European Union is very strict with that kind of stuff. It's very, very much uh, in favor of protecting the... Um, the privacy of uh, the European citizens. I also know that in the United States, obviously, there people are very worried about uh, about this kind of like obtruse, unclear connection between the Chinese government and the the company ByteDance that makes TikTok, and then all of its global users. So, do I want to be active there? Yes, because. That's where the world is. That's where uh, I, I can find so many great people. And that's where also my, my, my own contribution uh, finds a, a, a new audience. But at the same time, I would say it's, if, if something else comes along that is more in line with the values of the country that I live in, then yeah, I'll probably... <laughs> not stay there. Um, but let's make no mistake, this is the case with all these platforms uh, where it's free, yes, but you do pay a price. You yourself are the commodity. You are the product. Uh, so they, they, they use all your information, your behavior online. They gather that in profiles. And that, that's, a, that's a pretty scary um, aspect of our social media that 
we're not that aware of, but it is happening, and not just in China. It's happening in, on every uh, social platform. And so um, now that, that, uh, that Twitter is in such turmoil, I figured, you know what, I've, I've been trying out this new platform called Mastodon, a couple of months ago, and I thought it was so complicated, and I didn't get it, and I was like, nah, nah, this is not for me. Plus, it was like crickets there. Was like, who uses Mastodon? All my friends are on the big social platforms. So there wasn't really an incentive for me to, to get to know that platform better. But now there is, because I felt like um, I, I, I want to see if that is a good platform as an alternative to Twitter for the kind of work that I do, for the for the context that I want to have, for the conversations that I value. And so I went back to my original profile, discovered that it was actually located on a small... So for those of you, let, let me give you a very brief primer of what Mastodon is. So Mastodon, in a certain way, very similar to Twitter in a sense that it's a micro-blogging platform, which means it's all about small messages. You get a little bit more room for your thoughts. It's about 500 characters versus 288 on Twitter. Um, But all the rest feels very similar. You follow people, you can like, you can re... not re tweet but repost or it's called boost it has its own vocabulary you don't tweet but you toot because a mastodon of course is kind of like elephant like mammoth like uh, creature um but uh but that's that's where the similarities stop there are also a lot of differences the biggest one is that this is not owned by anyone it's been developed by volunteers um, it's open source. Anyone can install an instance, they call it an instance of the platform, on his or her computer or server, which means that it's not just this big company that has thousands and thousands of servers working day and night to send messages back and forth between its users. No, Mastodon is more of a, a tool that has like small you could say worlds, almost like planets, uh, where, where you can go and you can join that community over there. Um, all the moderation is done by the owners of that particular instance of Mastodon. But it can very well be that, for instance, you have a, a, a Mastodon, let's call it a planet, okay, planet Mastodon art, and it's where all the artists are. And uh, th- th- a lot of people that love painting and watercolors and whatnot, um, knitting, they all want to be on that platform because if you look at the like the total feed of people that are posting on that particular server, um, it's all about creativity. And they just it's very easy to find friends there. But of course, you also want to be able to communicate with people that are on a different planet, which also runs Mastodon. So how does that work? Well, the, all these servers, all these planets have like linked traffic. They can all communicate with each other, which of course is a little bit slower because if there are, for instance, tiny little planets and they run on on a like a shared server, which is not very powerful, and all of a sudden they get a lot of new new members on that planet, it becomes very crowded and it becomes very slow. And of course, all those like slower planets start to influence the whole gravitational situation. I don't think this is a good metaphor, but anyway. <laughs> 
So it's it's not as polished as what we're used to on on a platform like Twitter. On the other hand, it's also almost completely invincible. No one owns it. If you don't like this or that particular planet, you just fly to a, a rock. <laughs> you plant your flag, you install Mastodon, and you say, hey, you can always come here. And it's also for a user, um, it's very cool that you can, for instance, say, look, I really don't like art. Like every time someone posts a picture of a, um, an oil painting, I get itchy and, and, and I get red dots on my face. So you know what? Eh, all these artists, I don't want to see them. And so you can just say, hey, anyone who's on that planet, I don't care for. I don't need to see their updates. I don't want communication there. Um, so you can see the power of that. But it's up to you where you want to be. You can choose your own community. Nobody can can boss you around or all of a sudden change the rules. If, if uh, uh, let's say, the moderator of your particular instance says, hey, from now on, we're going to only post about vegetarian food. All the chicken eaters here, all those, those, those bratwurst fanatics, um, we're going to slow down their uh, their growth we're we're gonna flag their messages you say hey, well i don't i don't i'll i'll just go to planet bratwurst where they're <laughs> more lenient with people like me so it's it's a really powerful system um and because there is still always communication for instance if you want to move from one planet to another like i was on a dutch mastodon server which was and still is managed by just a fellow Dutchman. He's doing that as a well, almost as a hobby in spare time. He pays for it for the server himself. But then, because so many people were trying out Mastodon in the Netherlands after what was happening on Twitter, um, that server just came to a grinding halt, and I was unable to modify my my uh, my profile. I was like, okay, I, I think I need to move to another server, so, which I did. I went to mastodon.online, which kind of like looks like the same planet, but it's a totally different planet. It was a little bit bigger, more stable, more powerful computers. And the cool thing is, all my followers, I had like 10 followers, so... <laughs> But they automatically were transferred, were following me along to the other planet. And there are a few more differences, which I think make it an interesting uh, platform to check out. You cannot really do a text search. Um, you can search for for hashtags. So it kind of goes back to the original way of sharing stuff. It's like, I'll, I'll just add a hashtag and people look for those hashtags. But on Twitter, of course, you could also just look for any word. And that's how all these bots started to attack people if they would use one word. I've noticed it myself. If I would use, for instance, like Pope Francis in a tweet, or I don't know, other words, trigger words, sometimes I would get a whole army of I don't know if there were real people people or bots that started to attack me and I had to one by one kind of block all these people that were attacking me because I was saying something positive or even neutral about Pope Francis. And it's like, I don't like that. Well, you can't do that on Mastodon. And so it makes it a little bit more bot unfriendly 
which I think is good, at least troll bot. I'm not talking about bots that automatically post, uh, for instance, news updates. Another thing is you cannot quote tweet. Quote tweeting was uh, like an evolved version of retweeting. Retweeting is just like, hey, I like this message. Let's share that with my followers, right? But then later on, it became quote tweeting, and you can add a little phrase. Like, for instance, look at the nonsense that so-and-so now has posted. And then it included a short, like, not screenshot, but a snippet of the original message. So it enabled me as a user to frame someone else's message. And I was no longer talking to that person. I was talking to my followers. Like, look at that person there. Don't you think I'm right? That, And, and unfortunately, that has been used a lot in flame wars, in, in troll attacks. Um, and it created a very hostile environment for some people on Twitter. And so the, the, the creator of, of Mastodon and of the whole, let's say, the whole toolkit of Mastodon said, we're not going to do quote tweets. I know it was very popular, but I really don't want to introduce that. I'd rather have people take a little bit more time to maybe even retype some of the comments that they are adding their thoughts to. But what I hope is that that little delay will invite people to have a real conversation with the original author instead of just pointing at others and, uh, and, and sometimes even like calling on the troll armies to go attack people. You know what? The proof is in the pudding, of course. And there are lots of other differences, subtle differences. Um, and also things that Twitter can do, uh, things that Mastodon can do that you can't do on Twitter. For instance... There's an edit button. It's very easy to go back and edit your your message. And then what's even cooler is that it will notify people that have liked that original message and will tell them, hey, the, the author of this message has now changed the message. Do you still like this? So, for instance, if I, if I post something on Mastodon, I say, like, I love vegetarians. All bratwurst eaters are, are despicable. And then I get all these, like, vegan vegetarian likes and thumbs up and reposts. And then I go and modify my message later on and I say, all these vegetarians are terrible. Bratwurst is the future of culinary, the culinary whatever. (laughs) Just eat more bratwurst. Then all these vegetarians on Twitter are like, hey, that's not the message that I liked. But on Macedon, they are notified like, hey, this vegetarian promoter has now turned into a bratwurst worshipper. Do you still like this message? It's really very, very well thought out. Um, but the proof is in the pudding, as I said. And, and, and so for the past two days, I've been um, setting up camp on Mastodon, I started to f- to just look for hashtags. Who is posting about Star Wars? Who is posting about about anime? Who is posting about uh, astronomy? And then you you look for a hashtag, and then I get this column full of interesting posts. And then it's like, oh wow, oh my gosh, this guy or this girl, this person, <laughs> this droid. This Wookiee has such an amazing review of Andor. I need to follow this person. And so that uh, it takes a bit of time because you basically have to start from scratch. You cannot just say, look, everyone who is on Twitter now, I want to follow these people on, on Mastodon. So you have to actively look for new people to follow. But it's been amazing. There's, there's such a whole 
new world that that opens up for me and interesting conversations. And because everybody's kind of new right now, it's like, okay, so how does this work? There's a lot of people helping each other. Um, it, it's, a, it's a really, it's not just about the tool. For me right now, what is so attractive about Mastodon is, is the overall atmosphere. And of course, there are always exceptions. Um, but all in all, I think it's almost like a reboot of what we used to do on Twitter. Um, it feels like we're starting anew. And, and this time, I think the system is a little bit more protected against like sudden changes or people just you kind of thwarting the original intent of the medium for for other uh, for other goals. Now it doesn't mean that I'm immediately gone from from Twitter. I've announced let like hey, I'm continuing the conversation that I had here on Mastodon, but I you know, I'm not going to close down my account at least not not right now. Um but because I I I really want to focus on um how does this work for me? And I've already been so happy with the new contacts and friendships and and conversations. Uh, I like to hang out on Mastodon, whereas with Twitter, I was always a bit wary. You know, what's what's going to be, what's going to pop up now? <laughs> I was always like, uh, there's like the doom scrolling, like oh oh my gosh, the world is coming to an end, and. Um, I have the total opposite feeling on Mastodon. Will it stay like this when the masses start to congregate there? Only time will tell. But I'm always in for new adventures. So if you are after this curious uh, to figure it out yourself, first of all, you take your time. It's it's not a copy of Twitter. It will maybe at the beginning be a little bit confusing, although there are excellent, excellent introduction videos. It's... Yeah, every change is uh, is is difficult, and maybe you're you, you're on a sa- on a server that may be a bit slow from time to time. But give it a little bit of time. For me, it took two days, and now I'm like, okay, I think I know how this works, and I and you start to enjoy it. Uh, that's what I hope will also be your experience. If you want to follow me on Mastodon and look me up, just go to any Mastodon server wherever you fly to any planet you want to fly. And then just search for Father Roderick. Um, so my, my official Mastodon address is um, Father Roderick at Mastodon.online. But if you type in Father Roderick, you'll probably find me very quickly. Um, so let me know. What you, and make sure that you say hi when because I'm still I'm, I'm still at zero right now. I have a very, very small group of people that I interact with on, on Mastodon. But something tells me that that might actually change very rapidly. I do not like movies. They're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. All right, I'm really enjoying this new, um, what is it, television channel subscription service <laughs> called Sky Showtime. It's basically Paramount, uh, Paramount Plus, Peacock, uh, Sky, some other stuff. And um, uh, they just launched, I think they officially launched actually the other day in Amsterdam. They had a big party. 
Um, and, and some of the actors, because of course Paramount is also Star Trek, they had a couple of actors from Star Trek who showed up in Amsterdam. And I was like, ah, if only I had known, <laughs> I had known, I would have maybe asked around if there is still room for, you know, a geeky priest who likes to talk about, <laughs> about television shows and movies. But alas, I, um, I was at home and I was following the, the updates of people that were there. Um, but uh, even though it's still very small, it doesn't even have all Star Trek yet. It does have Star Trek uh, Strange New Worlds, which I reviewed, I think, last week which is so cool. It's still my, my favorite Star Trek series right now. Um, but I also started to browse a little bit, and I came across two television series that I've started to watch. One is called um, The Offer, and I was intrigued because it, it, the layout of the poster of the television show made me think of The Godfather, which is such an amazing movie. This television show is a fictionalized account of how that first Godfather movie was made. Um, it's a mini-series, so it's not going to be like multiple seasons. Of course, that's impossible because once the movie is made, <laughs> there's no more story. Um, but it is extremely well done. It, it, uh, it takes place in the 70s. I grew up in the 70s. And so a lot of the, uh, the visual style of the movie the, the the way people dress the cars that you see in the streets it all feels so familiar it's like oh my gosh i had forgotten how much that was the world that i grew up with uh, I, I grew up in everybody is smoking everywhere it's like wow okay that yes i remember those days um but it also tells an interesting story um, of course it's part of it is romanticized fictionalized but also uh, they use the what the information of what was happening when they were developing this script it gives you a, a really good insight in how this movie got made and how hollywood uh worked in in those days uh, and i i think on that level it is very compelling and and realistic um and from what i've been able to judge uh, what they show of of how, you know how is the interaction between the the original script writer the the showrunners the writers the the bosses of of uh, the company um even the, the the glimpses that you get of the actual workings of hollywood a lot of that feels very realistic to me as someone who actually has also worked in in the broadcasting industry uh, and, and and of course, all that is not worth much if the the actual acting is not good or the story is not compelling. The, this movie or this miniseries didn't get very high ratings on on Rotten Tomatoes. I think it's it's like a six out of ten or something like that. So not everybody liked it. Um, and I've I have to say disclaimer: I've only watched one episode so far. Um, so I'm only judging on the basis of this first episode, but I was, in, I was really mesmerized. I loved the, the writing dialogue is excellent. Acting is fantastic. They've got some really high profile actors in this series. Um, they've got, uh, I will just give you some names. Mike Teller, Matthew Goody, Giovanni Ribisi, Colin Hanks, Dan Fogler, you, you know him from Fantastic Beasts, uh, Juno Temple, Bern Gorman, um, and also Lou Ferrigno. Ferrigno. Lou, you remember him? He was the original, well, not the original, but the, 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 the 80s Hulk 
the the bodybuilder who who portrayed Bruce Banner in his Hulk form. Um, he is he's great in this series, and is like, wow, I cannot believe that that is the same guy as the Hulk that I watched religiously as a child. Um, very cool. Both Dan Fogler and Lou Ferrigno. Uh, are going to be at the Dutch Comic Con, which is happening next weekend, I think, or in two weeks. Um, I'll be there. So they're going to speak. They're going to have their... They will show up, and maybe they'll also talk about this show, although it may not be uh, the the right topic for the, the Comic Con audience. But it's very cool to be able to see them in, in, in real life uh, soon. Um but yeah, just wanted to give that a thumbs up. I'm I'm not sure if if people have access to it. I don't think that many of you uh, are you know on Sky Showtime. Uh, but I just wanted to mention this. If you ever come across it, check it out. And then another thing that I was looking forward to uh, quite a bit was Halo. Um, I've I've been playing these Halo games ever since the Xbox came out. I loved the first Halo, very atmospheric. I played it years after it was launched, by the way. I'm always a little bit behind on stuff. I loved Halo 2. Um, and then I, pl I once played Halo 3 with someone else who actually guided me through the entire campaign because I am lousy at first-person shooters, as you know. Um, but it was great to have someone else who did all the hard work, and so I was able to experience the whole full full story of a video game. And that barely ever happens, because I'm just not a very good player. So I usually rage quit, or I give up on, on games like this, but it was so cool. It felt like I've I've been in a, in a Halo movie. It was very visceral. It took about two days, I think, to, to work our way through the entire campaign. But it was unforgettable. It was such an amazing experience. So when I saw that they were developing um, a Halo television series, Steven Spielberg was even involved in the production of it. I was like, wow, yes, yes, I want to see this. When it launched last year, there were a lot of people that were criticizing it because it doesn't really stick to the lore of the video game. It makes a lot of changes. You do see a, a, a ton of familiar costumes and even sound effects and settings, but they did change the story. And one of the cool things, I think, about the video game is you never know who Master Chief is. You never see his face. It's like very much like Boba Fett. Never, well, you like what Boba Fett used to be. is this kind of slightly mysterious guy never takes his helmet off. And what happens in Halo... Maybe also because of the conventions of television. Yeah, let me take off my helmet. And then everybody's like, no, 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 don't do that. Because the cool thing about having someone who never reveals his face is that you can't kind of project anything on it. You can be Master Chief. And once the helmet goes off, you're just like, oh. <laughs> it's like me with with uh, Boba Fett. Um, like, huh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. Well, whatever. And and then they did the same thing with The Mandalorian, of course. At first, The Mandalorian is kind of this very cool-looking dude with taking care of baby Yoda, never taking off his helmet. I, and, and the moment he takes off his helmet is like, oh, okay. It, 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 the mystery disappears a bit. I mean, I still think it was a good choice uh, because it, they act, actually also used the whole helmet on helmet off thing in the narrative because apparently it's a religious thing that you don't take your helmet off 
Um, but uh, but with Halo, that was you know definitely something that the fans did not like. I have to say, after watching the first episode, I think well, yes, I see where they made changes, but I also think that is it's a pretty solid series. It 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 looks great. Um, there's a lot of action. It feels at times very much like the video game, um, but it also develops an interesting story. It's it's solid sci-fi. And so there's a lot that I like about Halo. And I can't wait to, to see where they will take this series. I still keep wondering why they felt the need to change the, the lore so much. It's always a risky thing to, to change the narrative. Because Halo is much more than a video, video game. For a lot of people like me, we grew up with Halo. It was part of our... Well, not childhood in my case, but definitely the the time that I was a student, that I was in seminary. Well, maybe a little bit later. It's probably when I was already a priest. But it's 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 marked part of my life, and and that's why it has a very emotional charge. And the moment you start messing around with that, it feels like you're messing around with my memories, you know. Um, so I understand why they did it. I also wonder, it wouldn't it have been better to just respect the original story we've got great examples in television and also in anime where they actually do respect the 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 the, the original material very much like for instance uh, chainsaw man uh the the anime series that i'm currently commenting on on tiktok and youtube chainsaw man is based on a manga and people were like very worried oh my gosh it's going to be an anime adaptation they're gonna mess it up because that often happens <laughs> but no the original creator of the manga was also involved in the creation of the uh, anime series and he made sure that the anime series is extremely respectful of the of the original source material and so everybody who loved the manga and it had a huge following also loves the anime right now so yeah why change the story if it upsets your your biggest fans and advocates. Anyway, that's what I've been watching recently. Um, and next week, of course, there will be Star Wars to talk about. <laughs> Catholics rock! It's time for a short visit to the Peculiar Bunch. This is the place where um, you can ask anything you always wanted to know about Catholics, but you're afraid to ask. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? I often get a lot of questions about what Catholics believe, and oftentimes it also shocks me a bit. Like, but doesn't everybody know this? Well, apparently not. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. That's, that's one of the things that I like about working on TikTok and on YouTube and these, these different areas where, where a lot of people have no idea whatsoever of, of what a priest is, what the Catholics believe, how, how it all works. And so they can ask these very open, innocent questions. And I was like, wait... Do I have to? Do I really have to explain this? I mean, I thought it was clear. Well, <laughs> it's it's very humbling sometimes to realize how little people know about the Catholic faith, 
and how how much I have been living in this bubble where I feel like, yeah, but this is just common knowledge. Well, it's not. And it, it just reminds me of how important it is to do something like this, like a segment on a podcast where I, I answer questions or um, what I used to do on, on my Lego YouTube channel is like make these little exp um, explanation videos about so what is Advent, what is Christmas, what, is, what, do, we, what do Catholics celebrate during Pentecost? Um, because there's a lot of confusion about, about faith, uh, what it entails, how it all also is congruent. Uh, how how do things click together in in Catholic faith? If you only see, if you only uh, watch the news, first of all, it's very rare that something is explained in in the news. It's usually about something going wrong in one of these religions. Um, and e but even if you Google, you, you still see a lot of. Of misconceptions and and uh, um, sometimes even deliberately false information, um, and I may have been uh, uh, myself also uh, guilty of 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 just googling something and then just believing it right away without really going more in depth. That that's why right now on TikTok I follow a, a lot of people from different religions from mine who explain stuff. And it, it just helps, it sharpens my mind. It helps me to get like an inside perspective. And I think it's super important, especially in these polarized times, that we keep talking with one another, that you stay curious and that you explain your own, this is something that we are called, as Christians, we are called to do, we, we, to bear witness of our faith, to explain why we believe what we believe and more importantly, why we do the things that we do because faith is not just, something of the mind it's also something of the heart and something that needs to express itself those are the fruits uh, from which people will judge the tree so if you say you are a faithful believer but in your day-to-day -day choices there is no difference with other people and you you're just as selfish as anyone else and you, you don't help you don't make this world a better place than then people might judge the tree on the basis of the fruits and saying, well, you know, I don't care for that faith because whatever good has ever come from religion, something you see a lot on social media is like religion has only caused war and misery, which of course is maybe understandable if you only have your religious uh, knowledge from, from, from the news about scandals and stuff that you go and corruption and whatnot, uh, abuse, but from if you know a little bit more about the history of mankind, and unfortunately, history is also something that uh, not many people are are studying, and and a lot of people have no idea about their own history, about the history of their own cultures in which they live. Um, but from a historical point of view, of course, that is that is nonsensical. Even like from a scientific point of view, that would be totally illogical and, and untrue to say that religion has only brought misery in the world and wars. No, no, just look at history and you'll see that religion has actually also been a source of incredible uh, progress in the world. Uh, even science has been very, very, um, uh, let's say, promoted uh, by, by the church, not always, but uh, for instance, the, the the guy who came up with the whole Big Bang theory was a priest. <laughs> so, 
Um, I feel like it's it's important to know more about your own faith uh, if you're a Christian, but also, and, and this is 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 known um, by by people that work in education. The best way to learn is to explain it to someone else. And so for me, this segment on the show is always uh, also a, a way for me to kind of deepen my faith and to rethink stuff that I, I've been brought up with with someone else. It's like the other day, some, Jan, I think, in the Discord was like, can you explain a little bit more about purgatory? You mentioned that last week, but uh, what's that about? I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, maybe I should talk about that. But then it's like, okay, so how am I going to explain this? So I need to think about that, and, and that helps me also to deepen my faith. So curiosity, trying to explain, to bear witness of what you believe is, is super helpful, both for the receiver and also for the person who explains. Now, we're going to get some great help next year. You may have heard of the um, very, very successful podcast, The Bible in a Year, where every day you would get a podcast episode, about 15 minutes, and it would comment upon a part of the Bible. And it would be this chronological reading of the Bible uh, from, from the first page until the last page with commentary explaining, so why is this happening? How does this relate to other parts of the Bible? How does this apply to your life as well? It wasn't just like an intellectual exercise. It was also trying to make the Bible come alive. Um, it was a, a massively successful uh, endeavor, very, very well executed as well. Well, the same people that created that Bible in a Year podcast are now going to do the Catechism in a Year podcast. It will start in January. So it's Father Mike and some other people that you may know if you've listened to the Bible podcast um, that will also be involved in production of the Catechism in a Year and uh, I'm going to follow that. I'd love to you know, kind of get a refresher of all this, this incredible wealth and knowledge and tradition that is contained in the catechism of the church. Catechism, of course, is not like the Bible. It's not written by God or anything. Not, well, the Bible is also not written by God, but inspired by God, written by human beings. But the catechism does uh, do a val- valiant effort in condensing the Catholic faith in, a, in, a, in an easy-to-follow, systematic way. And so I think if you would follow that podcast at the end of next year, you will probably know more about Catholicism than I know at present. <laughs> I'm very well aware that as a theologian um, and a philosopher, there's more that I don't know than stuff that I know, let alone what I'm able to explain. So I'm also, just like you, looking forward to listening to this uh, to this show. Um, so uh, it's not online yet. Um, I'll include a link in the show notes uh, to an, uh, an interview with Father Mike and some other people that explain why they do this podcast and what you can, can expect. But definitely for me, something to look forward to next year. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? Huh. I've done a lot of reading. Uh, <laughs> the most, most uh, uh, important reason was that this week I was not fully fit. Uh, as I explained in my other podcasts, uh, I've had a pretty 
bad reaction to the to the COVID booster. I've been sick for a couple of days, and then I, for some reason, I just couldn't get things running again. I was every day. I was very tired. I went to see the doctor. I got my uh, blood works checked, and and the result of that was that actually I. I'm very healthy. I'm super fit. There's nothing wrong with my blood except for one thing. And it was what I expected. And that's, I have a slight vitamin D deficiency. And that is probably the, one of the reasons that, I, that I'm often so tired. So I need to take in a little bit of extra vitamin D. And over time, uh, hopefully my, my energy will return. But uh, for the past few days, every time I sat down, I was like, okay, I need to do uh, uh, my, my review of the latest Andor episode because I, I love Star Wars Andor and I, I want to share my thoughts about every episode. And then I sat down, I started to turn the camera on and I was like, oh, I just, I'm so tired. I just, oh, I just need to sleep. <laughs> just put me in carbonite for another week. <laughs> and so... I um instead uh I I just listened to a ton of audiobooks I was reading a, a lot of books and uh, and and well one of the one of the boons of that is that I'm almost current now with my reading my goodreads reading challenge I only have three more books to read this weekend and then I am on schedule again woohoo so I've read um a couple of books I think I've I've read about three or four books this week already um, but I want to mention two of them. One is a is a novella, almost, by Stephen King. It's called uh, "You Are" or "Your" or, and it's it was written when the the Amazon Kindle had just come out, and everybody was raving about, you know, oh my gosh, you can just have an entire library on this small thin device. Now, of course, these first Kindle eBooks were were very clunky, very big. And, and expensive. Not everyone had one. So this story is about a guy who actually uh, buys a, a Kindle, orders a, the first Kindle, you know, the white ones. And then he gets the package a few days later and he opens it. And to his surprise, he's got a pink or purple uh, Kindle. I was like, I've never seen that color before. And then he starts to explore it, download some some books, and all seems to be well. He loves the device, and then he sees like exper- like there is a a tab in the menu, and it says experimental features. And that actually used to be maybe it still is on on the Kindles. You can, you can for instance, it would have a browser on those early Kindles, and you could connect it to. It was super slow, <laughs> totally unusable. But anyway, they were experimenting with it. So he also checks out the features under experimental. F- uh, uh, features the features under experimental features yeah uh, you see I'm not a writer I'm not Stephen King and and then he he uh, tries out the browser and then he sees like a book from one of his favorite authors I think at one point he's even looking for stuff written by uh, Shakespeare but he doesn't recognize the title and it's like how don't I recognize this title I've read everything of this author and so he he buys the book, he starts to read it, and he's like, yeah, this totally is Shakespeare, but this story is not. He has never written this. And then he finds, he, he does more searches, and he finds uh, other authors that have, and, but he finds a, a whole slew of books that, 
have never actually been written by those authors. And he downloads them and he starts reading them and he, and he shares that with other people. And they all agree like, yeah, this, this has to be written by that author. It's so clearly his or her voice. But in our reality, they have never written this. And in fact, they discover books that were written after the death of the author, by the author, at least according to that Kindle device. And that's where they start to discover that they are actually downloading books from an alternate dimension. And then, and then it gets very Stephen King-like. Then, of course, huh? if you can peek into other realities through this device, maybe we can also look into the future. And, and, and oh, that's where, of course, things start to become creepy and they will, they are starting to, things are starting to get out of hand. I won't spoil what happens next. You'll have to check it out for yourself. But it's really masterfully written. When I first saw the description of this, this book, I was like, how can you write a story about a guy who buys a Kindle? And then you're like, chapter three, you're like, oh, yeah, Stephen King can. <laughs> it is really, really cool. So that that was a, a fun read. And these books read themselves, you know. I just, usually when I, when I especially when I have to read a, a number of books, I always look at like, how much time is this going to take me to read this book? Um, and sometimes I, I really have to work. And I was like, okay, to... I got more, 300 more pages to read. Okay, I'm going to force myself to read at least 100 pages in the next hour. And then I was like, ah, I'm really working to get through the book. Not with Stephen King. I just, I totally forget time and space. So like, uh, I'm in the story. And I can't wait to see what happens next. Another book that was very enjoyable is written by Kunal Nayar. I'm not sure if that name rings a bell, but... If I say Raj from the Big Bang Theory, you're like, oh, yes, <laughs> Raj Kutrupali. Um, so the actor, Kunal Nayar, who is from India, who plays Raj on um, the Big Bang Theory, wrote a book when he was still, I think, it, like filming season three or four of the Big Bang Theory. So this is not like looking back on his career as one of the main cast members of that show. Uh, but he was already super well-known and, you know, made made a lot of uh, heads move with his role. And he wrote a book called uh, Yes, My Accent is Real and some other things I haven't told you. I totally expected this book to be uh, a book full of memoirs and behind-the-scenes anecdotes of the Big Bang Theory. And I'm, I love the Big Bang Theory, so I that, that that's what motivated me to read the book. And it, it was nothing like that. Th there is hardly any mention of the Big Bang Theory but it is, a, um, a, a, I think, a fun book to read about uh, uh, how he, he grew up, his Indian culture, background, his family. Uh, he moved uh, overseas, uh, started an internship, and so it shows, he tells about his first steps in the world of acting and how he ended up you know, becoming this very well-known actor. talks about his, his marriage. Um, and what I loved about the book is that it is very much the same tone of voice and the same humor that you see in Raj Kutrupali, which then opened my eyes that, oh, the writers of The Big Bang Theory 
have actually started started to write for the actor and a lot of the actor's character and mannerisms and humor is integrated in the show which almost makes it feel like you're actually reading a biography of Raj Kutrupali, which is not the case, but it is the same humor. It's the same. I'm, I, I was laughing so much when I was reading this book. Um, so uh, it was very, very funny. And, and now I want him to write another book, but this time write it about the Big Bang Theory. There is this one book, and unfortunately it's not available on my um, Storytel uh, uh, account, um, that that is a behind the scenes book about um, about the Big Bang Theory, um, and I'm waiting for it to go on sale on the Kindle store because I I just love anything that has to do with the Big Bang Theory, and I love reading books about you know about how a show gets made uh, to get the other side of the story as you as you want if you will, and so a friend of mine actually posted an update on Goodreads that he was reading that book. And I was like, oh my gosh, I need to read that book as well. So I don't know if I can hold out until it goes on sale. Maybe I'll just buy it as it is. Maybe I'll even order it from the US as a, as a book book, as a paper book, because I'm not sure if I can wait. I love these kind of books. That's what I wanted to share with you. Uh, let's dive into the kitchen real quick. My Currently, my fridge is full of vegetables. Oh, my gosh. Like, half of the fridge is veggies now. <laughs> this is because I was, I, I was having this, well, perceived vitamin D deficiency. I've, I was like, well, maybe there is more going on. I need to be as healthy as possible. So, I started to cook even healthier than I was already doing. And it's a lot of fun to, to try to come up with all these new recipes. I love the, the stuff that you can do with oatmeal and with lentils. And oh my God, I'm just like my kitchen is right now feels like Dr. Frank's laboratory. Yes, I'm trying out all these recipes. <laughs> you know, the crazy professor from The Simpsons. Um, it's, it's a lot of fun. I love cooking, um, and but I'm also trying out some 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 new stuff. For instance, um, you know that in the Netherlands we have a lot of cows, right? If you've ever seen a like a postcard of the Netherlands, it always shows the windmills and then these green plains full of grass and cows. Cows are cows and tulips. We grew up with that. We always thought, well, you know, thank God the Netherlands is so such a natural environment with so many cows and then i watched this documentary about like okay but is this actually good for our environment that we have so many cows that all our you know our agricultural economy is focused on the production of dairy and meat and then you you discover that actually there is a dark side of this whole industry around cows where cows are bred uh, systematically so they either will give a ton of milk, of course, the, the, the female cows, not the bulls. <laughs> the, the bulls are just raised as quickly as possible so they can go into the meat grinder. Um, and, of course, be, for a cow to be able to give milk, she will have to have a calf every year. The moment the calf is born, they take it away from the mother, which is very stressful for the cow, but then she will continue to give milk. The cows that actually produce the milk uh, 
will die much, much quicker. They will have a very short lifespan compared to cows that are not uh, used for milk production. And so when I was reading all that, and plus the grass that you see in the Netherlands, on every single photo of the Netherlands, there's so much grass. This grass doesn't even come from the Netherlands. It's like specifically optimized grass that can withstand any type of weather. It's very resistant against uh, bugs and, and whatnot. But it replaced the kind of natural meadows that we used to have, even when we were already having this big dairy industry in the Netherlands. Uh, we used to have meadows where all sorts of different types of grass and plants would grow and cows would eat whatever grew there. But for, of course, for insects, for butterflies, bees, even for birds, that natural, those natural meadows were so much better for our environment. Whereas now, with this very tough, almost like, like over, over modified type of grass, we've created a monoculture that is that is causing a lot of uh, of issues right now. Not just where there is grass and where there are cows, but also in the rest of the Netherlands. So we are currently trying to change that. There is this big agricultural university here in Wageningen, next door to where I live, where they do a ton of research on, on, on trying to find ways that will actually be helpful for the industry, but also will improve the overall balance in, in our environment. And so I was like, okay, I don't actually need dairy uh, to be healthy, right? This is scientifically proven because like half of you, of mankind is actually lactose intolerant. They never use dairy and they're still very healthy. So you don't need dairy. You can also, but you do need a balanced diet. You do need your protein. You do need your, your calcium, etc. So I, I was reading up on stuff that I could do, which, which would have a bit of a lesser footprint. And one of the ways in which you can improve the situation was, well, switch from dairy to soy milk. Now, soy, of course, is not climate neutral. And you've all heard the stories about these big, you know, forests that are cut down in Brazil and, 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 and in other parts of South America for soy crops. But what we don't often realize is that uh, most of the soy is used to feed animals. So we can then use the dairy from the animals and, and eat the meat of these animals. Well, so it stills. And, and a lot of the soy milk in the Netherlands is done with soy that grows on, on Dutch ground here in our country. We're not importing that from, from other countries. Um, and so I was like, okay, okay, well, let's, let's give it a try. So I switched to soy milk, which uh, it, it takes a bit of, uh, of getting used to. It, it definitely is a, a, like a soy milk frappuccino. Uh, it's not the same. It's not the same. So, uh, yeah. It's, it's an, but, for instance, if you use, like, dairy in, in cooking or in desserts, no problem whatsoever. My porridge in the morning, you know, the oatmeal with soy milk, pff, not an issue. It's just that in the, in, the, in the coffee, it's not what I'm used to, but maybe I'll get used to that as well. Or maybe not. I'll just drink my coffee black. Um, anyway, that's what I... That's what this is how I'm constantly experimenting with stuff and seeing how I can uh, cook in a healthy way. And at the same time, I want to be also more aware of how my behavior, my, my cons consumer uh, choices 
can actually help make my country healthier again and and uh, and help to repair the damage that we did that we've done to our environment by this high intensity you know farming industry uh, another uh, thing that is related to this is uh, something I saw in the news yesterday literally uh, and it was actually an appeal to the Dutch bishops to follow their UK colleagues by reinstating uh, the Friday abstention. Uh, so that on Friday, in, in a lot of countries, Catholics are not allowed to eat meat. This is not, this is not dogma. Um, and in the 80s of the previous century, the, the bishops back then decided that Catholics in the Netherlands are allowed to substitute this fasting on meat, so this um, abstinence, with another way of fasting. And that could, for instance, be, well, I'm just not going to eat cookies or I'm going to give something to the poor or whatever. You could, you could basically choose any penance of your liking, which, of course, had, had the immediate result that all Catholics were like, okay, so now we can't eat meat on Friday, so we shall meet eat meat on Friday. And what was that other thing that the bishop said? Yeah, let's not do other forms of mortification. So basically the result was total <laughs> dilution of the original idea of that Friday. Friday is, is, is in tradition, in Catholic tradition, the day that you remember the sacrifice that Christ uh, made by, by carrying his cross and dying. Um, and you would kind of join that sacrifice by making a, a small sacrifice yourself. Uh, but all, all of that has completely evaporated, at least in the, in the Catholic mindset in my country. And so now there was this, this, this uh, uh, proposition, well, maybe we should just go back to that. Maybe the bishop should just tell us to not eat meat on Friday. And they actually did a calculation. If all the Catholics, of course, all the Catholics, how many of those Catholics are actually practicing their faith? I don't know. But just look at, if you look at the, what is it, a couple of million Catholics that we have in our country, if they would all skip meat one time per week, you would, that would have a massive positive impact on, on the environment. Um, so I, I, I doubt it that our bishops are going to do that. And, and, and if they would do it, I think a lot of people would revolt because uh, uh, recent sociological research has shown that Christians actually, in the Netherlands at least, are indistinguishable from their pagan counterparts. They don't make different choices. They eat just as much meat. They are just as much worried about the future of our world and our environment as anyone else. Um, so I doubt that... that many Catholics would change, actually change their behavior. But I do believe that as a church, sometimes it might be worth daring a little bit more, being a little bit more prophetic. It has, it does change people if you keep saying, well, hey, we as Catholics, we cannot enforce it, of course. You're not going to be excommunicated for eating bratwurst on Friday. <laughs> but as as the Catholic Church in the Netherlands, we would highly in, uh, like to highly um, uh, admonish you, motivate you to try to try to, to to go without meat, if only one day per week. And why not do Friday? You know, I think over time, all these little signals do help people to reflect upon their own behavior, become more aware 
of how these all these individual choices that are very small, how, how can I change the world? But if we all make small changes for the better, it will have an impact. And we have already seen how all these micro choices that people make and changing their small habits are helping the world to to uh, to improve. Anyway, I doubt that any of these bishops is listening to this podcast. But hey, you don't have to wait for the bishops to do to do what's good for the world, right? We are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device. And it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. So, I've been thinking about maybe upgrading my computer to be able to play more recent video games. As you know, I, I love video games. I don't have that much time for gaming, but I do like my session of Valheim every once in a while, just hanging around in the Viking afterlife building houses, because apparently that's what Vikings do when they die. <laughs> but the, the, the problem is my computer is uh, was not built for video games. It was built for editing television programs. And I've been using that for a couple of years to do exactly that. But now I've switched to the Mac for editing and it's so much better for everything because it's it's silent, it's, uh, you know, it's super blazingly fast when it comes to video editing. So I now have that, relegated that old computer to the, the hobby room. And every once in a while I, t- I turn it on, I go online and, well, I hang around and I play video games. But I've noticed recently that the computer is struggling uh, because it's 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 not a very good graphics card. It's like four or five years old now, um, and and the whole computer uses a ton of energy. It's very very because um, uh, I'm measuring the electricity use, and I can tell if I've played a couple of hours online. The next morning, I can tell that it has cost me, and now with these rising energy prices. I'm looking for an alternative. And the first thing I came up with was, well, maybe I can optimize the current PC. I do have an even older PC, and I've gutted it, so I've only got the Cooler Master PC, what is it, framework, the the, the box left. And it, the Cooler Master is, is pretty good, and it's still compatible with the motherboard that is in the slightly newer computer. But then I was like, oh, it's going to be such a hassle to take that computer apart and and put the innards in <laughs> in the other box i don't know if i can pull that off and then if it fails i cannot play video games anymore so i was like oh, what do i do what do i do and 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 so basically i've now in my bedroom there's a small desk and and it's completely covered with the old innards of of the the computer that i no longer use and then the other computer is still making a ton of noise feels sounds like Cape Canaveral when when they're launching a new rocket (laughs) every time I I try to play a video game. So, of course, I can also, I can get a new computer altogether. But I'm thinking, you know what? My priority right now is not video games. My priority right now is to get my hands finally on an iPhone 14 Pro, which are extremely hard to get still, especially the, 
like the the, the 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 modified versions with a bit more memory, they are still very very hard to get. And I think Apple has even warned uh, that that it may get worse uh, during the holidays. So uh, that's my first priority. And I don't feel comfortable spending so much money on on a computer that's just for video games. So I was thinking, what about the Steam Deck? The Steam Deck is something that uh, Valve, um, the owners of the Steam platform, have built, um, and it's you could say it's it's what the Nintendo Switch is for Nintendo games, but then for people that have a big catalog on Steam. It doesn't play all the games. It runs on Linux, which is kind of interesting. Um, so, and, and it runs about half of the games that I have in my, in, my, uh, in my catalog, but it does play a number of very important games. Like, for instance, the, it does play Valheim. It does play um, the Spider-Man game. Um, so even, even like AAA games, they play pretty well on the Steam Deck. Um, but it's a smaller screen. It's, you can just sit anywhere and just, uh, there are built-in controllers. And I kind of like that concept that I can just, instead of having this, this huge, chunky, uh, um, slow computer that gets very hot whenever you play a game because of the, 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 the horsepower that is needed to just be able to play on a, on a, on a mobile device. And then there is also a dock. So you can still play on the big screen if you want to using uh, an external controller. You could just, I could just hook it up here to the monitor that I have in the studio and play game. Now, of course, the resolution is not going to be a 4K because it, it's optimized for 720p, not even for, for 1080p. But I tend to be not that critical when it comes to resolution when I play video games. It's more about does it does it have a good frame rate? Uh, I'm playing a lot of games in the cloud right now, and then of course, <laughs> it's sometimes very blurry, and I still manage to enjoy that. So maybe the Steam Deck is uh, the way to go. It is super affordable. I think it's the cheapest one, and you don't need all the memory because you can just put in an SD card. Um, the, the cheapest model is about 400 bucks, And that includes everything. It's got a screen. It's got, you know, the, the controllers. <laughs> it's got everything. And I already have all the games. I've got hundreds of games in my Steam catalog that I can instantly play on, on the Steam Deck. So, yeah, I'm actually... And then for the occasional game that won't run, I will still have that old clunky computer sitting in, in the corner of, of the hobby room. I can still use it i don't have to completely rebuild it um but i think the majority of the games that i enjoy right now i could just play them on the steam deck so maybe that's what i'm gonna do if there's any one of you who actually has experiences with the steam deck i'd love to hear your thoughts it's time to wrap up the show with the quote of the week and this time it's a quote from paulo coelho uh, who wrote the alchemist must read book and this is the quote. One day you will wake up and there won't be any more time to do the things you've always wanted to do. Do it now. It's a very good reminder of memento mori. The fact that we have to remind ourselves that we will all die one day. So the art of living is the art of using your time well. And don't 
push to tomorrow what you can do today. And don't forget to enjoy life every once in a while, because life is a gift. And God doesn't only want you to work, 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 work. He also wants you to just enjoy the gift, unpack it, and be thankful. That's what I would recommend you do. And that's what I'm planning on doing this next week. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. Thanks to all of you uh, who are uh, watching me record this in the chat room. If you want to catch me live, make sure to follow my YouTube channel. And well, maybe uh, one of these days I'll see you around on Mastodon. Take care and God bless.